Welcome to Canada's podcast. Hello, this is Cynthia Lockery from Canada's podcast, where we talk to entrepreneurs who are making it happen right here in BC. Today, I'm excited to have Marcus New on the show. Marcus is a pioneer in the pre-IPO asset class with a career that spans over three decades in the private and public financial markets. He is the founder and chief executive officer of Investex, a firm headquartered in Vancouver that delivers access and liquidity to the growth equity asset class and empowers the sell side to invest and trade in institutional quality private equity. Marcus is passionate about entrepreneurship and has made it his life's mission to be at the forefront of innovation and leadership in the financial markets. Welcome to Canada's podcast. I'm looking forward to hearing and learning more about you and your journey. So why don't we start about you telling us a bit about yourself and your current business? Well, a bit about myself. I mean, I, I've been an entrepreneur all my life when I was, you know, young, and you know, from you know having the paper route. I know that that today in today's world, most people wouldn't even know what paper is. Um, but you know, having paper route when I was twelve, to putting on school dances when I was sixteen at high school, to uh, running student painters, which was a uh, somewhat a college bro, if you're familiar with that, mm-hmm. um, which still is around. Uh, you know, during the summers going to university, and then eventually. You know, starting a, a financial company in the kind of internet era, the mid '90s, um, and so I've had a kind of a, a long career. I, I consider myself—I've always considered myself an entrepreneur since I was young, and um, and I love it, and I'm passionate about it. And I'm passionate about other entrepreneurs, and I'm passionate about just people that want to you know make the world better and, and make amazing products and serve customers and and do so in a way that creates a lot of, as you know, sacrifice in a lot of different areas of their lives, typically. Um, but the thrill of it and the passion for it is, is really extreme. And our current business that we started oh, nine years ago, I guess, um, really came out of my experience in building a company called Stockhouse, which was a financial community online where about a million investors would use it a month to get access to public equity markets. And sometimes you have to be deeply in something to really understand where there's opportunity. And so as we cover the public equity markets, we saw that a number of these companies, when they were going public, um, we're starting to stay private longer. And so the background in the in the venture ecosystem, which is really where the biggest companies typically go public, you know, they start off with, you know, kind of this uh, idea they call a seed investment, you know, and most companies can't make it to the next round, you know, the A, series A, and then the B and the C. And, and the, the most successful companies, it's basically like the, the world's fiercest competition, you know, for uh, world-class companies and, you know, getting access to capital because they they continue to have to really progress their business in a really substantive way. And what was what we found when we, st- when, it, when we were in the public markets was that a number of these private companies all of a sudden were staying private longer. And this was back kind of in 2013, 2014. And when you looked at it, what you saw was there was a number of large institutional investors like Fidelity or Wellington or TPG. Um, that were coming in and basically, instead of that company going public, they would say, look, we'll write you a check for $300 million, you know, and just stay private longer, and we will capture the returns in that company. What was really fascinating, Cynthia, about that was that the company at that stage of the business would historically go public. So, for example, Amazon went public with about $442 million 
you know, was kind of the size of the business when it went public, right? You know, Facebook went public at 100 and I think it was $107 billion, right? And so, so you saw like $106.6 billion of value was created in the public, in the private markets that only people that got access to that were some of these large institutional investors and obviously the employees, right? Whereas Amazon, most of the returns came for public equity investors, which are everything from pension funds and institutions to obviously the average retail investor. And so when we started to see these companies staying private longer, literally there was about 10 institutional investors, maybe 12 that were making all the money. We said, this is fundamentally unfair. You know, why in the world should only those 12 people or those 12 funds be able to get access to this asset class? We said, there's got to be a way for us to provide broader group of people access this asset class. And so that was really kind of the foundation. And it was kind of the foundation of us starting Stockhouse too, you know, which was why in the world should the brokerage community own all the information and so regular retail investors can't actually make any own decisions and they have to pay massive fees. You, you may not remember this, um, but back in the kind of 90s and early 2000s, you know, especially in the 90s, brokers used to charge like 3.74% to put a trade in. The market makers would take another eighth. And so when you start to think about like the cost of trading, it was massive. Like you lose 10% of the return just to the fees to Wall Street, in effect, or Bay Street. And so, you know, then what happened was information sources like us and Yahoo Finance and others came in, and then the discount brokers came in, you know, and what it did is expand the market 10x. So the number of people trading the market now is 10 times what it was because information became available. And we were a big pioneer making that happen. And we saw ourselves a little bit, you know, not to be so, you know, dramatic. But, you know, a little bit of like, you know, the, the, the way that's kind of help many, I want to call it Robin Hood, but, you know, to help many be able to get access to that. And then, of course, you know, that market grew a lot. And so when we saw the private markets, we actually saw some similarities to what we saw in the public markets back in the 90s, which was, you know, small group of institutional investors controlled the market. They made all the money. No one else did. You know, and what made it even worse, Cynthia, is that these companies, you know, were the best companies in the world. Like, you know, when, when you get up to the final stage of venture capital and they go public, they're typically the best companies in the world. And you can think of Airbnb or DocuSign or Uber, all these kind of companies, you know. So not only could investors not get access to them in the private markets as they stayed private longer, and they started to move up the average amount of time that they would go public from kind of five, six years to like 12, 13 years, right? But they also couldn't get the IPO shares because it was always controlled by Goldman Sachs and Morgan Stanley. So not only... Could you not get access in the private markets? You could also not get access when it went public. And so the regular investor was in effect, you know, having all this return captured by a small group of institutional investors again, right? And so, so we said, look, this is fundamentally unfair. And so we need to go and we need to fix that problem. And so, but what was, I think, one of the most exciting things, though, is that these are the most amazing companies driven, you know, run by the most amazing entrepreneurs and leadership teams in the world. These are world-class companies um, that have really become the things that are most mainstream here. And so we found a way to be able to really drive those returns to, you know, more investors instead of fewer, which is really how we started the company. And I love how you started in Vancouver. Absolutely. So is there any um, job or experience and it might not even have anything to do with your current work that really, really motivated you to be an entrepreneur and to go down this entrepreneur route. You know, I think my story is probably a little bit different than many entrepreneurs and my whole community really is of entrepreneurs. And I love, and, and as I mentioned, I'm very passionate about entrepreneurship. You know, I've just had it in my genes, I think, since I was young, right? I did have some, a little bit of modeling from my parents. 
um, who had some different, uh, you know, kind of experiences being an entrepreneur. Uh, not the way I would think of it today in terms of running big businesses, more like the, you know, my dad was a you know, photographer who had his own small photography firm, you know, but, um, and my mother, you know, uh, worked to build an education program for people to help them, you know, become uh, certain skills in terms of geriatrics. So the construct of that was that, you know, I had some modeling, but I've always just been passionate about the creativity of like, you know, doing something, you know, making some money from it, you know, figuring it out, you know, and, and, and many people would, you know, maybe put that energy into a lot of other things, development, programming, whatever it might be. Mine was just really just super fascinated about all of those different things. And so, so it started early, as I mentioned, and that was really kind of, you know, I think just, just a constant passion of, of wanting to do it, but also a constant passion of wanting to be uh, really the best at it. Like I had a high drive for achievement. And so, you know, so I just didn't do it. Like when I did student painters, you know, I was number one in the country. And then when I did, I was number one in North America, you know, and so, so I always had a passion to be really, you know, to be highly achievement oriented when, and to do it, to do it extremely well. And I've really taken a lot of that. And I think that's just built into people, right? Mm -hmm. You know, where you, Absolutely. you know, you have a creativity, the passion for that creativity that can be expressed in being an entrepreneur, can be expressed in any kind of trade or craft, of course. And mine, I got to be expressed in being an entrepreneur. I love that. Is there um, any advice that you would give to an entrepreneur who's just starting out? Yeah, I think, you know, the great thing about being young is that, you know, you have no fear or typically have no fear. And you have you also usually don't have too many dependencies and you know financial commitments. And so I find it's 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 probably easier to start when you're young. Um, but one thing, you know, I think that there's there's lots of different types of entrepreneurs, right? And so and they're all equal in terms of you know, uh, you know, kind of pursuing their dream. And so, but they are quite different in terms of what their ambition may be. So for example, you know, you can have an entrepreneur that would love to just have their own business. And, you know, and have a, a franchise of something. And, and there's, there's no less them not being an entrepreneur than I would be an entrepreneur running a different kind of business or someone that was running a business with 5,000 employees. You know, they're still all entrepreneurs. Um, but, but what they may do there would, might be different in terms of how they would start or set up or something like that, right? Um, so, so if you want to do your own thing, you have a passion. And, then, and, and you know, Gerber and the E-Myth talks a lot about this, right? You know, where people that were the accountant want to, you know, they, they say, I don't work for the man or the woman anymore. And so I want to start my own. And so they go through that process, you know. But I think that from a pure, if I think from technology, which is where we really are, you know, go talk to customers and see if there's really a problem. And talk to a lot of them before you go do something, right? And so, because if, if you go and talk to a lot of customers and say, look, you know, this is a solution thinking about, you know, they say all of them say there's a problem, then you then you have a good start for something. If all of them say that's not a problem, right? And this is the big issue we see all the time. People build stuff with no problems to solve, right? And so they spend a lot of time and energy and then they get kind of disgruntled about it. Um, but that's in technology. In other areas, you, know, you can start a store or retail thing online, or there's lots of different ways to be entrepreneurs today, especially with the internet. But I always say, you know, there's a couple of things that I always recommend. You know, one is find a group like EO, for example, is a great group for entrepreneurs. Of course, you have to have a business certain size, but they have a program called Accelerator. You know, for if you had, for example, $400,000 in revenue, I think you can join Accelerator. And those are learning programs that are helpful. You know, there's lots of groups online. There's lots of entrepreneurial things like Inc. Magazine, lots that write on entrepreneurship, you know, different things about it. So learn the craft because it it takes a long time to be very good at it. 
right? You can have a great product and be a lousy entrepreneur and get some initial traction, right? Which is great, which is what happened. most most start that way because they just don't have the skill sets, right? Around how to build a team, you know, how to you know uh, really understand product market fit, like all these kind of things they just don't know yet. And so my encouragement is go for it, start it, but you know, go talk to some customers first, right? And make sure that there's a there's a thing there because also when you talk to customers, they may you may get a lead customer for something, which also help you build some confidence and and get the learning. But it's really all about learning initially, right? You know, and, and if learning is not a core value of yours, I would really struggle to see whether you'd be a successful entrepreneur, right? Because you have to keep learning, not only about the market, the customers and products, but you have to keep learning about the skill sets required to be a good entrepreneur, which is really about team building, you know, deeply understanding customers and product market fit and things like that. So those would be some of the things that I would always recommend. I think it's great advice about the passion and the research and just connecting with people. So in terms of what you do, what are you most proud of? Oh, you know, well, you know, putting it, if, if I think in the business context, um, you know, I, when I, um, when I started business, it's basically business, I think business, um, had a successful exit before this one. You know, I wanted to design a culture and this came through experience of, you know, going through a lot of pain and issues related to, you know, uh, what culture meant. And, you know, when when you think about culture, you know, most people say, you know, the, the joke is that the executives go away for a weekend, they come up with some values and some things like that. And they come back, they tell everyone, they punch it on the walls over the office and then basically it ends. So I, in, in my business before this at Stockhouse, I went through a lot of different issues in that business as a younger entrepreneur and growing business and, and went through a number of very difficult market issues, right? We had the financial crisis in 2008 and nine. Uh, you know, we, we lost like, you know, 50% of our revenues in one year, things like that. And so as I went through that, and I started this business. I said, what I want to do is I really want to design the culture. So I started it from that kind of piece of paper first before actually hiring anyone. And then I described the values that were really, really important to me as an entrepreneur around people that I wanted to work with that had those similar values. And then what we did is we really incorporated that in uh, to our business. And so we have a values interview, which, you know, today might be a little bit more popular, probably, you know, than maybe it was, you know, 10 years ago, but where different people in our company are on that interview and they, and the questions are all geared around understanding the person's you know, aptitude for our set of views. And the way I describe it is like, you know, it doesn't mean that you have to agree with them, um, you know, what those values are. Um, there's lots of places to work, but if you do like them, you know, this is not going to be the place you're not going to be happy here, right? Because we want to have people that kind of agree on a base set of principles on how we want to do things. Because if we're all around kind of people doing our stuff, you know, we're going to really enjoy it more, you know. And then, so I think that the, you know, we've, we've worked to really work hard to build a culture like that, you know, and we're not perfect at it by any means. And sometimes stuff's on the wall and we don't practice it the way it should be practiced. But I think there's a genuine intent, you know, at our all meetings at the end of it. You know, every time at the end of that meeting, we have an open session where people talk about other people that exhibited the values over the last six weeks. And we do it twice a quarter, you know, in the company. And so we reinforce it through beginning of the, in our in our weekly meetings of the value we're going to practice that week. We reinforce it in the company level, talking about it all the time. We reinforce it in terms of people going and demonstrating and calling out others that have exhibited it. And so, and I think that's one of the things I'm really proud about is that, you know, we built a, 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 a only highly capable 
competent, skilled people that are passionate about the things that we're doing in terms of how we serve customers and, and returns that we check for portfolios for our clients, but but also in terms of like having kind of those same like-minded people in the in the firm. And so so that's I think, you know, um I mean there's lots of things that you know that I'm proud about, but I think, you know, that's probably one of them that's most important. And I think that's great about how you bring your values to life instead of just being a list of words on a wall behind you. So so let's talk about being in BC. Um, we're both based in BC, Van, you know, entrepreneurs. What are some of the benefits of being here? Well, you know, <laughs> I think most entrepreneurs start, you know, sometimes where they're where they live, right? And so, you know, I lived here, I had another successful business here. And so I was able to kind of start this business, you know, out of the office of my other successful business, you know, before I sold it. Um, and so I just naturally was here because I started here. Now, with that said, um, people are attracted to BC, you know, in terms of the the lifestyle, the outdoors, you know, this kind of life balance piece that, you know, people have been talking about for 15 or 20 years now. Um, but there are some significant challenges too, right? And so I think that if you have, uh, you know, certain type of workers that that um, can come, that want to come to Canada, for example, from immigration perspective, and we've hired some like that, you know, usually they're in technology, you know, developers, product people, things like that um, from, you know, other parts of the world, you know, they like to land in BC because it's just beautiful. It's not as cool. You know, it's the weather's great, mm-hmm. a lot of good stuff. Uh, the, the challenge in BC, though, is it depends on your industry. If you're in the media industry, creative arts industry, you know, things like that, there's a great talent pool here, right? Because the, you know, the Hollywood North kind of idea, and it's spawned into other technology-related investors, right? Or sorry, technology-related uh, companies, which is which has built more a, a bit of a tech ecosystem here, which is great. The piece that's challenging for us here is that we are in, you know, asset management, and there are very few people in that category in this in this. Uh, unfortunately, in this province. And so, you know, we, we set up an office in New York because that's where the talent was, right? And so, and, and I'm a member of a group called C100, which is kind of a bridge between Canadian entrepreneurs and venture capitalists and late stage investors like us and entrepreneurs that go down into the valley that are still Canadian and keeping their roots back in Canada, which I think is a great organization to do that and helping to build the Canadian ecosystem, right? Because a lot of that talent goes down to America. And if I was younger, to be honest, you know, I probably would have had to move to Silicon Valley or to New York to really get it going. But because I, you know, have have been successful as an entrepreneur, I had more flexibility. But a lot don't because you have to go where talent is on some level. So it depends on your business, right? In our business, you know, it wasn't as important uh, for me to be able to go. But it, but if I was younger, I probably would have maybe had to move. Um, but lots of other businesses really fit here well, right? So it's an attractive place to come, and uh, you know, and we love Vancouver. I mean, it's always as beautiful as you know. Yeah, I think every person I've interviewed has said it's for the beauty. Um, <laughs> so uh, how do you define success? And and more importantly, how do you celebrate success? I mean, that's a great question. I think, you know, a lot of people define it different ways. I, I, I Where I am most passionate and I feel success is happening is really with two things. When, when customers are served and are happy, right? You mean, and in our case, that means creating very good financial performance for their investments, right? Um, being able to service them well, um, you know, because we already delivered to them an asset class that is highly sought after that they want to have, that they just never been able to have. So we, so our product's amazing because 
you know, we invested in Airbnb, you know, a few years before it went public, you know, for example, you know, and DocuSite, all these amazing companies, Instacart we own, you know. So, um, but with that said, so giving access is the the real key thing, but for our product, but from a, a service perspective on how we think success is really if the clients are successful, getting the returns that we expect, right? And so, and that requires a lot of work and, and effective markets and a lot of different things like that. Um, so, and then the second piece is the team, right? Is the team working really, really well together? You know, and I get a lot of satisfaction of seeing that happen, right? We're, we're really smart people are engaged. They're working well together. You know, we're kind of, you know, we're, we're moving through walls together. Um, and, and, you know, adversity sometimes really helps in terms of doing that. Um, and then the other piece is that, you know, we try to create not in a, um, a disingenuous way, but we, we uh, or maybe more frequently, disingenuous is not the right word, um, more automatic way. We try to build in some of the celebrations. Um, and, and there's really two things that, two ways I've kind of described it. So number one is when we, if we, we set quarterly goals every quarter, we communicate them to the company. You know, and then we have rocks. It's what we call our goals. You know, that are cascaded down throughout the organization. So every person has kind of three to four rocks for the quarter. Departments have rocks, and the company has rocks. Very typical, you know, style. And then we have a celebration for us achieving eighty percent of them for the end of the quarter. And that celebration is company wide. And so we try to do things like that, right? In difficult times, though, what happens is sometimes you know where you're in challenging. Like last year, the very challenging market, right? So the stock market very very challenging. Uh, most assets, you know, most people lost money last year in most asset classes that they own because of the effect of interest rates moving up so high. We won't go into necessarily that financial discussion unless you'd like to. But um, so you had to find green shoots, right? But you have to be genuine. You can't just go and have a you know, boat celebration because, you know, you signed one customer or you, you, you made a great investment. I mean, the idea here is that, you know, we have to reinforce it through you know, kind of acknowledgement more so than maybe big celebratory things. So I think it's always a combination of acknowledgement. So learning, you know, small acknowledgements of things that are going well and green shoots that are going well, you know, larger celebrations. And they, they all form part of the culture. You know, when 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 milestone objectives get hit, you know, celebrations are important, right? And people want to feel good about that hard work. It can't be just all head down all the time, right? And so, and so I think, you know, we probably can do a better job at it too. We've got a really great person in our people and culture that leads that. That's really good at helping kind of put those things together. But um, you know, I think that uh, that's something that you know in difficult times is always hard to, to to do well. I think. Well, and speaking of difficult times, um, you're the CEO. It's on you. How do you deal with fear and doubt when that comes up? Well, you know, you got to be a bit like Teflon. I think you know. Um, I think there's a couple of things. You know, number one is that you know is having a really good executive team, right? So that you know can kind of share that those the, that not that burden overall because they don't uh, own it the same way, obviously, as the leader as the entrepreneur does or the CEO does. But but certainly you know are a part of the solution and part of working through you know how to how to deal with those issues, right? Um, and, then, and then I think personally, you know, you have to take care of yourself. Right, like this, especially when it's stressful, right? And so, um, you know, you have to do some exercise. I mean, you know, talking about things that people talk about all the time, and they're really hard to do, right? Especially if you're not doing them a lot, right? And so, but you have to get clarity. You have to spend some mindful time, and I know that's a top topic. You know, I do it more in a devotions kind of thing, 
Um, but I try to, you know, do a little bit of that and a little bit of exercise five times a week, you know, more important when it's stressful, right? When it's less stressful, I probably could do it three times a week, right? So or two times. And I hate it. And I don't want to do it, right? So, but I know it's really important. Every time I do it, I go, thankfully, I did it, right? So, but I need accountability. And so, you know, so the things that are really hard, you know, I, I really am a big believer in, in getting coaching, right? So every professional athlete has a coach. Every top performer has a coach. So I have different coaches too, right? So an accountability group. So I have an accountability group, for example, um, I, I have a forum group in EO, you know, and we have a, a Whoop app, you know, which is a Whoop band, which some of you might be familiar with. It's a it's a kind of a sophisticated heart rate monitor, but it tracks our level of strain and whether we do exercise or not, you can see our whole group. And so just having that accountability of seeing on the app that the rest of the, there's eight of us in it, you know, makes you do it more, right? And so always having something like that. I have a, a devotion accountability group. There's a couple of us that, that, you know, text each other when we do that. So, so having an accountability group is really important. And then the second piece is having a coach. And so we have an executive coach for our executives, but I also have a personal coach that helps me in terms of, you know, trying to really create peak performance, you know, working on the right things, talking through issues, right? And so, and then as an entrepreneur, as you know, it sometimes can be a little bit more lonely there, right? You know, because it's not, you don't have the same unfeathered, you know, way of describing every fear and issue you've got, you know, with your executive team, you don't want to scare the heck out of them. So, you know, when sometimes you feel it. So but the construct of that is that, you know, I think coaching is a super powerful way of doing it. Now, they're not cheap and it's an investment, you know, but to me, that would be a highly recommended thing for, you know, once your business gets to, you know, a certain size, but, you know, definitely having a coach should be helpful. I couldn't agree more. Every um, jump that I've made in my career has been with a coach and having yeah, coach and different coaches based on where you are in your journey. So I think that's great. Well, Cynthia, I'll add one other thing to that, you know, is we would think of it typically, you know, in terms of of uh, a coach for our business or executive team, et cetera. Um, you know, but I had a, a point when that I hired a coach as well, just for my personal life. Right. And, and I had you know made a very typical error that a lot of entrepreneurs did, which was kind of overemphasize kind of the business and kind of underemphasize kind of some of my family. And so so I hired a coach actually just to work with me, just to help me actually rebuild some of the, the skills that I needed and, and, and some of the commitments I needed in terms of spending time, you know, and then it made a really good impact. Right. And so having kind of an accountability code just for that, it wasn't for business. It wasn't for execs. It wasn't for anything like that. It was just like, you know, get my you know, kind of personal life rebalance back. And so again, you can have coaches for different things. And and that's actually been something I've found a lot of entrepreneurs have asked me a lot about was my experience with that because I coached for about two or three years in that specific area of my life. And, and it's because if you're, if the entrepreneur has a good family life, they will be a better entrepreneur. And 100% agree with that. So um, if you weren't doing what you're doing now, what what's another career path that that you could see yourself in even in an alternative life well you know i, I love being an entrepreneur um you know but one of my core values is also generosity and so you know we we spend a lot of time uh i should say a lot of time we 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 we, we spend time and financial resources to try to be generous um and we believe that you know that we've been given a lot of opportunities, a lot of people, a lot of places in the world have not been. And so I think that if I was to think about being outside of business, it would probably be related to being as, um, involved with a nonprofit on some level, you know, to use some of the, the, the leadership and building skills to be able to help, you know, drive more of that. And so, 
So that's what I would see as kind of if I wasn't a business. But I'm, but you know, currently I'm I'm so I'm so passionate about kind of companies that we invest in, the area that we invest in. You know, to me, these are amazing businesses and creates a lot of passion. But you know, I think in the the next set or generation will be look something more like that, where I'll take that same passion and put it back into people versus putting it back into kind of you know profits for people. <laughs> And is there any advice that you gained on your journey that that you think would help other entrepreneurs? Well, you can almost pull out any topic area for that. I think, you know, I think that there's at different points in my career, you know, you learn different things. And again, I, I said at the very beginning, it depends on what kind of business that you want to have. Not every person wants to go and put in what's required to go build up you know, business with 100 million in revenue, you know, versus they want to maybe have a franchise, you know, because it's a it's a more cleaner way of being able to still be an entrepreneur, but have a lot of those things already done for you, right? And so those are very different types of things. And so for me, my passion was to build something substantive. Um, and so, and to really, you know, so, so I think there's a couple of things that I look at. Number one is, you know, I said at the beginning, learning has to be a core value. You know, you have to learn, right? And, you know, and I just don't think there's very many successful entrepreneurs that don't have a core value of learning. Right. And so, you know, not to be so, uh, you know, formulaic, but obviously the team's important. Now, the team's important, but most people don't understand how to get a good team. Now, a lot of businesses aren't big enough to attract good people either, but there's good people for different stages of the business. So you have to, one of the, one of the important things I think as a business grows, especially if it starts to scale quickly, is that you have to also be able to recognize when a person that is a Swiss army knife that you hire at the beginning when you're six or eight people, right? You know, it's very different when you're 20. It's very different when you're 50. It's very different when you're 100, right? And very few can go through that transition, right? And so you just have to recognize that right at the beginning, right? Because if you hold that person too long, you may really affect your business. So so that's why also starting to get, as your business grows bigger, you start to attract more quality talent because they want to be a part of something that's growing. They don't typically want to be in something with six people. And so then you've got more people that can help you with those things too. But so the people that transition, you know, and how those people can either get into different roles or maybe unfortunately have to exit the company. Um, but as you go through that, so it's all about people on some level. So that's one aspect, right? So learning people. And then the other thing I think is that, you know, think bigger, you know, and I think this is a, this is an issue for a lot of people you know, they don't believe it could be really massive or they don't understand maybe how to do it, but there's lots of resources to help to create that understanding. You know, there's lots of books like Blueprint to a Billion and many like this to talk about some of these things. But when you think about, um, one of the things I think about as we invest, for example, but I also think about for our businesses, where are there markets where there's unlimited scale, right? Mm -hmm. Where, you know, versus defined markets. And I have an entrepreneur friend of mine phoned me literally last night. He has a software business um, in uh, kind of a, um, a local service business, let's call it, um, that he served, they, they service lo like a local service uh, kind of business in the music industry. And the, you know, the, when we looked at the size of that market for his product, the whole market, the entire market in North America is like $30 million, right? So, you know, maybe it's $40 million, right? So you're never gonna get half the market. So if you've got 10% of the market, the max that business is gonna be is $3 million business, right? And so, so the, the construct of that is that if you're building products for very, very small markets, you know, yeah, it might be okay as a, as a basically a, a job, right? You know, or, or maybe a lifestyle business. And it's totally fine. Nothing wrong with that, right? So 
But if you want to build something that can scale and be, or, or be larger, you have to be in markets that are sizable, right? So even though at the beginning, you're not going to have anything that's going to be close to it, but it has to be in sizable markets. So, so I always think a little bit about that. And, and I've been trained more to think about that through how we invest today. Because all the companies we invest are in are massive markets, solving massive problems, and they're usually the world's leader in it. So the other thing too is, you know, scaling companies requires typically a big brother for the small brother, right? Or a big sister for the small sister. Right. And so, you know, they're very hard to do, but they bring immense credibility and accelerate businesses faster. So the faster that you're able to go and, you know, partner up, get an investment from, get an alliance with, you know, some of these big companies, they can actually bring you through a lot more doors faster. Right. And and we we were very fortunate. We had a company called Jeffries, you know, that invested in our business, you know, which it was a very, very large um, uh, firm, investment banking uh, brokerage firm, financial services firm in the US. You know, and they were able to open up a lot more doors and helped us to really kind of accelerate a business as well. And so, so those kind of things, I, I should have done more when I was younger, right? I should have focused more on understanding the skill sets of how to find an A player and attract an A player, right? You know, because it was more just whoever you could almost get to come in, you know, so spending more, more time there, spending more time on what are some, you know, kind of big sister alliances that we could put together for the business, you know, and so, and then, you know, continuing to learn. I think that's great. Well, um, those were all the questions I had for you today. So is there anything else you want to add before we close out? You know, I think for entrepreneurs, you know, the passion uh, to do something is really great, but the passion is one piece of it only, right? I mean, I, I really would emphasize, and I tell this to my, my nieces and nephews too, you know, I haven't found one that wants to be an entrepreneur yet, unfortunately, but if they do, <laughs> you know, just you need to learn. You need to put the skill sets in place. It is not natural. You did, you weren't built with them, right? And so you have to put the skill sets in place. So you know, take the passion, but start to really make sure you're learning and and uh, you know and, and enjoy. The, oh, one last thing. As I've gotten older too, and I write this down, it's on my to do list to remind me, right? Which is also to enjoy the journey, right? And you know, sometimes you just you're working so hard all the time, or you're you're so stressed out because of all the issues, right? Sometimes you got to back it up and say, look, I'm you know. Why am I doing this? Well, I want to enjoy the journey of it, right? And so, and, and the problems are just you know, opportunities to create solutions. Sure, that's kind of a bit, again, formulaic. But if you really think about it, you know, the way I think about it is, you know, in deep problems too, especially is I will be smarter at the end of this, right? So no matter what, I will be smarter at the end of it. I will be more skilled. And based on building skill sets here, right? You can't not build skill sets without adversity. And so I will build more skill sets and I'll build more skill sets and I will become you know, now people might think that that's a little bit too much like, you know, you're a computer trying to just keep getting smarter. Maybe I am. Well, thank you for coming on the show. I definitely learned a lot and enjoyed our conversation. And we look forward to um, seeing you again. Wonderful. Great to be with you, Cynthia. Have an amazing day. You too.